0: Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who's currently in the movie arc of his anime villain story, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? I really am. I
1: was texting you about this the other day, but I've just been watching a lot of anime movies lately. I have no idea why, but maybe you got kickstarted because a few weeks ago you were like, you want to come see SAO Progressive with me? And I was like, absolutely not. And then you were like, no, no, but just come. And like everybody that listens to the podcast knows that I am not an East Sky fan and I'm definitely not an SAO fan. But if there's anime in a theater, I'm pretty likely to see it. So maybe that actually kickstarted it because I've been watching just a ton of
0: movies, I feel like lately. I'm glad I could change your entire trajectory out here. What else have you watched? You watched some. Masaki Masakiyasa thing last night, which you said you didn't even
1: enjoy. (laughs) No, I did enjoy it. It was just a complete acid trip. I watched Mind Game, which was his debut movie, and it is by far one of his most just out there work, which for Masaki Masakiyasa, I think, is saying a lot. It also just mixes a ton of like different media styles and uses like photos of live action people in place of the characters. And the whole plot line is just about basically people getting stuck in a whale it's like super fucking out there if you're a yuasa fan you for sure should watch it it's definitely an interesting movie that i appreciate in a lot of ways but also is like what the fuck and generally i've just been watching a lot of other stuff uh before our end of the year episode i caught up on some movies and finished like the fruit basket movie and the Eurocamp movie and then i watched Tamako Love Story, which is the Tamako Market movie because I've been trying to finish some Yamada stuff. And I think there's a few others that I'm just kind of forgetting on the spot right now. Oh, I finally watched Akira, which is one of those things that I I just have. to. Wait, you watched Akira and didn't (laughs) even tell me? I did tell you. When did you tell me I told you because I was like, yeah, I don't really think I liked it. And
0: then you were like, what the fuck? I can't believe you just said that.
1: We had a whole discussion about yeah, maybe this. Maybe I just, just I blacked black this out <laughs> of my
0: entire memory. You're right. You're right. You did tell me this. It's coming back to me slowly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Akira is a weird case of a movie that you can totally see why it's been so influential for the media. And I think it's worth watching for anyone. And I didn't know this until after I watched it and trying to read up more about it, that the mangaka who created it was actually also the director of the movie. And the movie was filmed while the manga was actually serializing and so that's why you end up getting this product that is basically like the beginning of the manga and the end of the manga and then just everything in the middle absolutely speedrun. and apparently there are just so many side characters and plot lines that are fleshed out in the manga that are just condensed in like the middle 30 minutes of the movie and I came out of that movie being like what happened as like a visceral experience it was super fun to watch and I enjoyed it for
0: that but a lot of the movie i was just like what is happening i'm so confused right now yeah i mean there was definitely a grand vision however i think the reason akira is known is because of the technological advancements it made the visuals that it developed and played upon it looked amazing it brought the field forward but at the same time you're right the narrative is not the strong point of it yeah so
1: yeah i've just been watching a ton of different movies trying to catch up on stuff and There's not that much to watch seasonally as we'll get into, so maybe that's also part of it. All right, let's get into the news. Not a ton for this episode. One thing that we talked a little bit about offline that we should talk about on the podcast is that Netflix Japan released a short film titled Dog and Boy, which blew up because it uses AI to generate the backgrounds for the entire anime. It's like a few minutes long. The claimed reason for this, or the stated reason for this, is to, quote-unquote, help the industry because of labor shortages, when, in fact, there is a lack of animators, mainly because they're paid and treated like shit, and technology like this is only going to continue to undercut artists. So needless to say, I was super mad when I saw this, and I think you were too.
0: Yeah, so I actually saw this, as usual, independently of you, because I usually send you stuff, and you're like, yeah, I saw that. And I'm like, well, why the fuck didn't you send it to me, and why didn't we talk about it? And you're like, well, I was just molding about it too hard, and I wanted to talk about it on the pod, so I just didn't send this it to This one actually just made me upset, and it's been kind of wrapped up in a lot of other
1: AI news that's been coming out lately, and just AI art, and that whole kind of discussion that's been going on over the past few weeks and months so I was really mad
0: about it and I didn't want to talk about it more and that's why I didn't send it to you at the time it hasn't gotten as much traction on Twitter as I thought it would a lot of artists are talking about AI art right now a lot of artists are talking about how their art has been stolen by people generating AI art from it The few that did talk about it still had a very, very visceral reaction to it, that this is ruining the community. This is something that is taking the rights that animators should have and, as you said, undercutting them by using a different source to generate those backgrounds so there doesn't seem to be any impetus for the anime industry to want to better animators if these tools are coming out and if studios are using these tools rather than paying the people the living people that they have working there i mean it's just sad because there are
1: animators who want to work and draw these backgrounds and work on all other aspects of production there's a ton of money and viewership and notoriety coming to the anime industry right now as we talked about a lot on the podcast already but If you're just going to, instead of doing what would be the humane thing and saying, wow, anime is really popular right now, maybe we don't need to maximize profits and we can create slightly less than the amount of shows that are coming out and actually start to pay animators a decent wage and make the industry a more inclusive place. And instead of that, you say, ah, look, there's this tool that now makes like really shitty backgrounds that I don't actually have to pay anyone for it and then you claim that you're doing that for the good of the industry, it's just actually bullshit. There's not really much else to say about it, so it's really sad to see. It seems like that's the direction a lot of things are going, sadly, and I don't really know, unless there are regulations imposed, what is going to change that. All right, we got also news that Star Wars Visions Volume 2 is dropping May 4th on Disney+, and You're shaking your head because I assume you're excited for this. I don't actually know if you got around to watching Volume 1. I didn't myself.
0: I haven't finished all of it. I watched the first three episodes of Volume 1. And then I was like, this is too good. And then also, my partner's going to love this. Our backlog is just so long right now. I just told you last night we finished the first season of Kaguya. So we're steadily making progress prior to the movie again that we're going to watch together in a couple weeks. And so I'm excited for that. Star Wars Visions, it just looks so good. And I love these little anthologies that are all different stories, all in different animation styles. May the 4th is going to be perfect. I think that right before it drops is probably when I'll watch all of the first one, and then I'll just catch up to it steadily. Yeah, I'm definitely meaning to get around
1: to watching it because I do like Star Wars and Star Wars plus anime... Seems like a perfect match, given what everybody has said about the anthology series. The thing that's interesting about this volume two is that it's actually moving to a set of global creators and not just set in Japan. So there's going to be like, I think there's a studio from Chile. There's a US-based studio. There's a French-based studio. So I think there's still a Japanese studio. I actually can't remember which one, but it's pretty cool that they are taking the concept that worked so well for volume one and kind of expanding it more broadly. So... excited to see how that turns out and what kind of news stories and styles we get out of that and then finally the last piece of news that dropped was not an official announcement but was i think in an interview where one of the wit co-founders said that spy family season two and the original spy family movie are both going to be ready for fall 2023 which is really fast like I know that we both love Spy Family. Obviously, I'm excited to get more of it. But we already had the first season split between spring and fall last year. And to then turn around and say we're getting a whole nother season and a whole nother movie coming out so quickly seems like pretty rushed. But it is just, I guess, the popularity of it and the work rate and the production schedules that we kind of get for anime now. I personally wouldn't mind waiting a little bit longer for the product to be better, for the animators to get a little bit more time to work on it, but it's coming sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen even the popularity not just here in the West, but also in Japan seems to have been unprecedented. There are images coming out of there with themed cafes and cardboard cutouts of Anya everywhere and ads and everything like that. So I can definitely see there being a pressure to continue providing. Obviously, it's not going to be pressure that's met with increased staff or more resources. It's probably just going to be the same staff working harder. And That solves everything, that's, actually the state the industry is in right now i'm just really hoping it doesn't turn out to be something like near i don't think it would ever end up being something like that considering how popular spy family is but i think that could definitely be a worst case scenario if it were pushed back to 2024 fine i don't think that many people are going to be annoyed about it but if we get three episodes and then they're like oh we have a covid problem that's way worse yeah we'll get into that talking about this season did you want to talk
1: quickly? That's it for the news, but did you want to talk quickly about going to see Progressive, actually?
0: Yeah, so I had not seen the first Progressive movie. And so leading up to that, we actually watched that together. And I had re-watched SAO last year <laughs> to prepare for watching Alicization. And if you want to hear our thoughts on Alicization, you can listen to some of the episodes from last year and our anime review last year. Rewatching SAO was kind of a slog. The first three episodes, as usual, were amazing. The rest of it was absolutely fucking garbage. And so coming into the movie, I had mixed expectations, actually, for the movie, partly because I know how bad SAO can be when it's bad. But also, I know how people seemed to like the premise that it's from Asano's perspective now. And it takes place in the best arc of SAO, which is Aincrad. And specifically, what it tries to do is it tries to give us more time with Asana and Kirito as they explore the different levels and work their way up to the top of Aincrad. Now, from that premise standpoint, I was pretty excited. How the movie actually played out is that, narratively, SAO is just as bad as it always is. In terms <laughs> of its visuals, though, I think the visuals definitely looks good. That's the TLDR. I don't know, what did you have to say as not an SAO fan, though? Honestly, the best part was that we got to watch the first one together, and you made me dinner. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah, it was like a date. It was cute. (laughs) Uh,
1: No, talking about the actual movies themselves, it was weird to remember that I haven't watched any SAO property since I watched the original, and since I watched Gun Gale Online, like right after that. And that was like eight years ago, which to me was maybe the first moment in anime where I was like, wait, am I old? (laughs)
0: Like, that's a a long time gap. When we were watching this, I know you generally hate people talking during movies. (laughs) And you yourself were like, you know what, I don't actually mind if you talk this entire time because this movie can't be ruined for me anyway. And I was like, well, first of all, fuck you. But second of all, (laughs) I was, during the random moments, being like, yo, you remember that character? Or like, oh, this character showed up. And you're like, bro, I haven't thought about this shit in like 10 years out here. Yeah. And that was
1: pretty much the experience where... I agree with you that, like, some of the visuals were pretty good, especially in the second movie. Like, the fight scene at the end of the second movie, the one that we saw in theaters, was quite good, actually. The rest of the movie is like full of worse writing than I remember. <laughs> like, some of the dialogue where Asuna's like, Kirito, I want to eat your cream bun again. I'm like, this can't, this, why is this here? Like, why do, Why Actually, I subjected to this? Actually, you want
0: to talk about your favorite part of the movie, which is Mito? What about Mito?
1: <laughs> oh, that... Yeah. Okay. Spoilers for the first progressive movie, if anybody fucking cares. They introduced this new character, Mito, who is like Asuna's friend in the real world who like got her into gaming. And I'm like, nice. Little bit of a lesbian relationship going on here. Or they're just friends. But she's not really in the knows. original at all. So this is a completely new no, character. It's a new character. And... Throughout the course of the first movie, they obviously meet back up in the game, and then they get into a situation where Mito said she would protect Asuna and has to abandon her and thinks that she dies. Obviously, turns out neither of them die. And they find this out towards the end of the movie when Kirito has already saved Asuna and she's already, I guess, in love with him and like wants to follow him everywhere. So they go to this big fucking raid fight. Everything works out great. They beat the boss. And then they have this confrontation where I am expecting it to be like Mito and Asuna reconcile, they like apologize, and all three of them just move on to the next floor together. But no, (laughs) Asuna straight up just goes, Mito, I'm heading up to the next floor with Kirito see you later. <laughs> and I'm like, this is your best friend from the real world. And you're just ditching her. Why? There's
0: this no is classic SEO writing where it's like mutually exclusive. Like you cannot have both Kirito and Mito. And so in that scene, there there is like a reconciliation point where Asuna meets Mito again during the fight and pulls down the hood. And then Mito is like, oh, I know you've been following me for, like, three days, but I never knew it was you. And you're like, are you fucking blind? Like, how did you not realize it was Asuna over here? And then they're like, okay, let's tag team this fucking boss out here. They beat the boss. And in that scene, Asuna's like, I think my future lies with Kirito. And I'm like, (laughs) why can't it also lie with Mito? She's right there. She's right fucking there. And then Mito is just left alone on the floor And is out here like, fuck my life, I guess. And so in the second movie, the one we saw in theaters, again, I think it was worth it to go see it in theaters. If you're ever going to watch this movie or basically any anime movie, it's just so much better in theaters because of the big screen and the soundtrack. As long as you're prepared for
1: it to be bad, like it's going to be bad, but I still think
0: it's fun to go see it at theaters, right? Yeah, 100%. At least this one, I've always loved the soundtrack for SAO and hearing it on those speakers was amazing. What was that other scene that really got us going? There was there was definitely a few the, scenes in there. The
1: one where they're hugging, Mito and Osana oh are hugging, God. and it's just like a straight <laughs> butt shot for like way longer than it needs to be.
0: It is like the last like minute of the movie is one oh, frame, still frame, with just the voiceover God. looking at Mito's ass, and it's hilarious.
1: Yeah. Nice ass though.
0: I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. So on today's episode, we're coming off a historic fall anime season and transitioning into the comparatively slow winter 2023 lineup. We'll be giving our preliminary thoughts on this season, discussing what shows we're watching and how many we're actually not watching, and challenging each other to see who can watch the lowest rated show this year. So let's get into it. So, Yanni, if you could be transported into any video game under the death game premise of SAO, which would you prefer it to be? Can I have, like, Animal Crossing? (laughs) You know, I specifically was like, he's going to say Animal Crossing, and I know there's, like, no stakes in that game, but I hope the fucking raccoon guy capitalisms your ass into, like, hell out here. Tom Nook 100% will do
1: that. (laughs) As much as I love Animal Crossing, this capitalist fucking Tanuki can go fuck himself. (laughs) All right, so let's get into talking about this season. So we'll start where we usually start with these episodes, which is just give me your overall thoughts on the season. How's it going for you?
0: You vibing with it? I'm going to guess no. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I
0: actually, maybe this is going to surprise you, but I actually don't mind this season. So coming off of fall where there was just too much stuff to watch, this season is like a nice little respite where we can calm down, watch the few shows that we actually want to watch, like Vin Saga or Nier or Trigun, which is a contentious take for some reason. And I think that anime in the past few seasons has spoiled us it doesn't feel like we've ever had a break and now it feels like we finally have a break and we can watch what we want and the stack is still somewhat deep here it's not like there's nothing this season there's still a good three to five shows that we can all name or that we're watching and so i think this is just the normal anime season yeah i think this season sucks
1: (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) Um, I also agree that I do think it sucks. I also agree that it's nice because I watched so much this fall. Like, I think I watched like 10 to 11 different shows or something crazy number like that, that only watching a few seasonals feels really nice. But I was kind of expecting it because looking at the catalog for what was going to come out this season, I knew I was excited for Vinland Saga because... Loved season one, had heard a lot about this upcoming arc, been waiting for it for a few years. I was excited for Trigon because it's a classic property and I like what Studio Orange makes. And that was pretty much it. Nothing else really excited me from what I had seen. And I was keeping my mind open, thinking, okay, maybe there's something else that will come out and be good. Like we sometimes get these surprise shows. And we had a season like that last year, summer we had Made in Abyss, we had Devil's a Part Timer, which gave us a lot of rant material, and then Licorice Recoil came out of nowhere and blew expectations, and just was one of the most exciting parts of that season. Here, we just haven't really gotten anything that, at least to me, has come out of nowhere and been super exciting. So it's been pretty much the two shows I was excited for, and yeah, we'll talk about a few other things, and maybe they're worth a watch for some people. But it is nice to just have a break, watch the few seasonals I'm watching in this shitty season and just look forward to the rest of the year, get caught up on some plan to watch stuff, watch a lot of movies. And I've actually been enjoying
0: that. (laughs) I feel like this is the thing though. People keep saying that this is a shitty season, but for reasons aside from that, you're saying it's a shitty season because there are (laughs) actually redeeming shows here. And so it's very frustrating to look at the order of rankings and see that shows that are actually good are getting shafted in the rankings. So it's not like this season is actually shit for me. There are a good number of redeeming shows. It's just that either people aren't watching them or the people that are watching them think they're garbage, which I disagree with. Yeah, we're going to have to have a discussion about that when we get to a few of
1: the shows on this list. Okay, so let's quickly do the catch up on the continuing series that we covered in the fall that we're not going to talk that much about but they're still ongoing the two that i have written down are blue lock and Uruze yatsura blue lock we talked about this in the year-end review it's really bad somehow you actually watched all of it somehow i am still watching it it's really fucking corny (laughs) and still continues to be corny like i cannot take it seriously when A soccer player looks at another soccer player and is like, how can I make a chemical
0: reaction with you? Like, that just
1: doesn't work for me. It's just entertainment value. It's just
0: raw entertainment value. I mean, the best thing is I'll watch something and I'll just send you a clip of it where a guy is like, I'm only here because I think the soccer field is a battlefield. And you're like, bro, what the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? Like, get over yourself, man. I will develop my weapon so that my ego can
1: shine. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, too, have said that countless times on the soccer
0: field. If you like either soccer or shonen, you'll be fine watching it. Yeah. It'll give you a good chuckle every now and then, and then there's some hype moments. Yeah. It's bad, but, you know, we're both still here.
1: And then Ursa Yatsura, we also talked about. I am actually somehow enjoying it. I have no idea how. It's not good. The voice acting is great, but somehow I have been... Sucked into this show. There's been a clear shift so in hint.
0: dynamic on this podcast in the last year, <laughs> where you are now watching the fucking edgy garbage that everybody this is agrees not edgy. is not good. This is not it's, edgy. It's close enough to edgy. <laughs> it's, it's not close edgy. Enough it is. It to is to literally um, the first episode. He wins by ripping off her bra. <laughs> Explain to me how that's not edgy. I mean, I mean, look, the
1: the fan service is not. The main point, he's just a piece of shit. <laughs> you know.
0: You know, I'm watching some garbage this season, and we'll find that out very soon. I don't think I could ever see a world in which I even even finish the first season of Ursa Yatsura. I truly dropped that. And and that's hard to say because it should fit right up in my category, but that main character is just so fucking unwatchable that I couldn't do it.
1: It's bad, and I will admit that. It is really just the voice acting, and for some reason, I have just gotten in the rhythm of watching this stupid gag slice of life comedy romance show that has a lot of historical importance, so I guess that's one like good aspect of me sticking with it, but yeah, I definitely can't recommend it. It has not changed from the first few episodes, so if you didn't like those, then pretty much the same deal here. All right, so let's get into the seasonal charts now. If you haven't been with us for a First Impressions episode, the way this works is we work through the shows that we are watching, that we've checked out the first few episodes for, on the MAL charts. So if you want to follow along, you can fire up the MAL rankings for the season and just look through the shows that we're going to get to. And we'll give a short synopsis of the premise, give some, some thoughts, have a little discussion, and then we'll go through all the shows that, that we've managed to watch. All right, so let's start with probably the most anticipated show of this season, which is Vinland Saga Season 2, notably being done over at Mappa now. So the premise for Vinland Saga, well, first of all, you should just go watch Season 1 because it's really good, but it's somehow been four years since Season 1. And I know that you didn't know that because you texted me this morning and you were like, hey, how did none of us give... Vinland Saga, any awards in our anime of the year
0: categories? End of the year anime. I truly categories. blacked out that this <laughs> and was. And I was like, because it came out in 2019
1: and we didn't start the podcast till 2021.
0: <laughs> I don't know why it just feels to me that it was recent. When I was listening to the OST again, which honestly. Probably one of the best OSTs in anime that I've heard in a long time, which is why I was like, how the fuck did we not give this an award at any point in this podcast career? And it was, well, yeah, you're right. It came out before we had this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So the Farmland Saga
1: arc, as it's called, is finally here. And we pick up after the events of season one with Einar, a new character, who is an Englishman enjoying life with his mom and sister after his father's death and rebuilding of their village after its destruction in war. However, in classic Vinland Saga fashion, this piece doesn't last very long, as the Danes invade, slaughter his family, and take him as a slave back to Denmark, where he is bought by Ketel to work on his farm. There, he meets another slave named Torfin, as both work to gain their freedom and confront their past trauma. Okay, so we talked about Vinland Saga already in our Wit Studio episode, and I think we both acknowledged and would agree that it is one of our favorite anime that's come out in recent years I think generally and a perfect example of how to write and adapt compelling historical fiction and we're both fans of historical fiction I'd heard Probably. a lot of yeah what do you mean are we just because you like history more than I do doesn't mean I don't like it <laughs> so I'd heard a lot about the change of pace for this arc and just reading that it would go way down in terms of its pace, become a lot more character-focused, a lot slower. And so I was really excited to see where the story would go after spoilers for Vinland Saga Season 1, Askeladd's death, Canute's rise to oh the throne, and Tarfin's loss of purpose. <laughs> I put a spoiler <laughs> warning. <laughs> so, so far, I think all of this is being set up pretty nicely. I think viewing the events of the season from Anar's perspective is pretty interesting and I think he represents a thematic counterpart to Torfin where he's angry at where life has led him he's ready to stand up for the things he believes in and that's in stark contrast to Torfin who seems like he couldn't care less if he lives or dies and has as I mentioned that loss of purpose from the end of season one I imagine that going forward their relationship is going to be the beating heart of this arc as both have to grapple with their past I know you haven't gotten to episode 4, but episode 4 did start to touch a little bit on this when it's a minor spoiler, but it's fine. Einar learns that Torfinn was part of the Danish army and had killed a lot of people in the past, and so there's already kind of a little bit of conflict between them, even though they're living and working together. So, personally, I'm really looking forward to where the narrative goes, seeing the main duo grow, finding out how old characters like Leif and like Kanuid are going to fit into the picture. We're getting two cores, so... That's also great that we're actually going to get a full like 24 episodes to really sink into what's shaping up to be a character drama. And I think Vinland Saga was always character driven at its core anyways, but it did have a lot of action in season one. And it seems to be drifting a little bit, at least away from that in season two, which I personally don't mind because I am here ultimately for the narrative and for the characters. How did you feel so far about the second season?
0: Yeah, so... I mentioned that it feels like it was so recent, and that's because last year I watched this live action series on Netflix about the conflicts between the Vikings and the English and Britain, and that was called The Last Kingdom. And for the life of me now, I cannot remember what happens in that show. Versus the first season of Vinland Saga. Like, they are the exact same for me to the point where I was texting <laughs> you last night being like, did this happen? Like, is this is this a Vinland Saga thing? Or like, have you ever heard of this? And you're like, they're basically the same show. And I was like, "Yeah, Fine. It's all history. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's basically all history is the same, basically. So either way, if you like the historical context of Vinland Saga, I highly recommend that show or the series of novels it's based on. Because it's super interesting. And that period of history is very chaotic and... If you're at all interested in the events of Vinland Saga, you'll probably love it. Getting back into anime, as you said, it's not any secret that I absolutely love the first season of Vinland Saga. It does pretty much everything I love in anime and in media. It gave us a longitudinal story following a character through his growth from childhood into adolescence as he seeks revenge in the setting of this historical epic with incredible animation and amazing, absolutely amazing music. I think one of my favorite parts of Vinland Saga so far is that it hasn't shied away from the brutality of and the reality of life in this time period. It hasn't pulled any of its emotional punches. It showed Torfinn's steady progression into deeper despair as he's pummeled by misfortune again and again and again. And in season two, we don't even follow continuously from the end of season one. But instead, we meet Einar, as you said, who's this new character that's struck by misfortune in this conflict between the Danes and the English. We talked about this when we talked about Isayama's narrative decision to shift the story from Paradise to Marley in season four of Attack on Titan. But I really like these shifts in perspective Because they introduce new characters and they can also be used to add more context to the world, which Isayama did and which is definitely happening here in Vinland Saga as well. It's clear that the relationship between Aenor and Torfinn is going to also, instead of just being a heartbeat, is also going to be a central point of tension in season two. And I'm really excited to see how that actually plays out. I'd be more happy if you hadn't spoiled it for me, but I'm still happy to see how it works out.
1: (laughs) I didn't spoil anything for you. I mean, I obviously don't know what happens between them. I would imagine it's going to be something of them having to come to terms with why there's tension and conflict between them and eventually becoming friends and Anr kind of lifting him out of this basically catatonic state that he's in at the beginning of season two. And I think that makes for like a wonderfully interesting character study, but obviously we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. I also wanted to talk about what is the elephant in the room and I think we can both expand on is the pacing of this story arc. It's definitely taken a slower pace compared to the action-heavy battles and intrigue of season one. I don't think you really talked about your personal opinion about how that pacing is going to work here. For me I think this is certainly a personal preference, but I really like this new pace to season two. I think it's a great chance for characters to introspect and for viewers to get a better understanding of Torfinn's character as he deals with this newfound situation as a Danish slave. I'm going to bring it back to The Last Kingdom again because somehow they're so similar that there was also a slave arc in that show where the main character was forced into slavery and It's this harrowing series of episodes, but it does a great job of developing the character and showing how he deals with this ultimate despair of having his freedom taken away from him. In the same way, we're getting to see how Torfin manages this despair, how his personality changes as he loses his reason for living, and whether or not his relationship with Einar is going to give him a new goal, a new lease in life. I think season two so far has set itself up to deliver this amazing character development arc, and the slower pacing is going to be perfect to guide us through that arc to build tension and to develop what is my favorite part about the show, which is the historical lore.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I am really loving the pacing. I think neither of us have problems with shows that are slower paced, and I think specifically the pacing that we had in season one works really well for that specific arc because you experience a lot of Torfin's life as a kid and then you experience his father's death and then you experience all of his life after that, how he grows as a warrior, how Ascalod becomes this weird father figure, but also his goal is to enact revenge on him and that's his sole kind of focus in life. It has this sort of messy, chaotic ascension to the throne for Canute. Like, all these different chaotic elements are happening with tons of fucking battles and violence because they are just going around with Askeladd pillaging for the Danes. And I think that works really well for season one. If now we want to really strip everything down and focus on Torfin, which season one, even though he's the main character, it almost felt at times like Askeladd was the main character. And then later on in the season, like Canute was the main character and Torfin was there and we were viewing things through his perspective, but he wasn't really the focus in terms of character development. And I'm really excited to just settle down into his character development, into this arc throughout the next 20-something episodes. So.
0: It seems like the majority of the discussion and the majority of the criticism of this season has been the pacing. I thought that there would be a lot more discussion about the shifts from Wit to Mappa, because as usual, Mappa has definitely started using and blending CGI more into the work than Wit did. And I think it looks great. I mean, I think even in season one, it looks amazing. And I think Mappa's works all look great. But seeing the heavy criticism that the prologue, which is season one, is significantly better than season two, it's just the first evidence we're going to have of this theme that things are being criticized, in my opinion, unfairly. And I think specifically for a show like this, you do have to
1: just kind of wait and see how the character arcs play out. I've seen a little bit of a discourse that a lot of the characterization of Einar has slightly shifted, and apparently the team behind it has done that in consultation with the mangaka and tried to flesh out different aspects of his character. So a lot of those things have been changed. I think in the manga, supposedly, Einar was just very, very kind from the beginning, and they have tried to add more layers of complexity. Whether that will pay off or not as we go forward, I think we'll have to see, but I do think it's a show that you kind of have to give... A little bit of time to to see what happens. When you said elephant in the room, I thought you were going to talk about the wit to Mappa change. So I wanted to ask what you thought about that. If you're asking me, I think for the most part the season looks good. Something that I'm very happy about is that I think it has less of like an overriding Mappa filter compared to some of their other productions. I think you know what I'm talking about. Where some of Mappa shows like Jujutsu Kaisen and Attack on Titan, when it got shifted similarly from wit to Mappa, they have a certain look about them that makes them kind of samey sometimes. And you could definitely tell that in Attack on Titan. It looks way less apparent to me here. And I think that's because they kept a lot of the team that worked on it in season one, just moving over to working on it at MAPPA. I don't know how the production's going to go because they're simultaneously working on this at MAPPA. They're working on Jigokuraku or Hell's Paradise. They're working on Attack on Titan for the spring and for the fall now. They're working on Jujutsu Kaisen for the summer. They just finished Chainsaw Man, which was this huge production. That to me sounds way less than ideal. So I hope that we're not going to see the strains of the production throughout the 24 episodes. But I guess we'll have to wait and sort of see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, I I think that the season looks fantastic, even more than looking fantastic. I think it sounds fantastic. Both the opening and ending are fucking amazing this time around. And so I'm really, really happy that the production quality has maintained a high level. The bar is still really high for the show. And beyond just how it looks, I mean, we've we've talked at length about the characters and their development arcs. You mentioned that Einar is a character who they added complexity to. And when I started watching this, I was just immediately struck by, yeah, he's super complex as a character because you see that raw emotion, that anger and frustration at him being forced into slavery. But then that excitement that he gets when he learns that he could be freed from slavery by working. It's like he doesn't really have any ill will towards his master that you would expect from someone who was so brutally taken from his homeland and uprooted. But yeah, there's a sense of gratitude he has towards his master, which is a very, very complex emotion. One of the best shows of the season easily. So if you're not caught up, definitely just go do that.
1: All right, let's move on and talk about Nagatoro season two being done by OLM. I will be honest. I watched all of season one, and I hated it, and I trashed on it in our one of our First Impressions episode last year or the year before, whenever the fuck it came out, and I was like, yeah, I'm not watching season two, and I was fully prepared to not talk about it until you were like, hey, yeah, so I'm
0: watching Nagatoro, and I was like, why? <laughs> why are you doing this to me? You'll find out. <laughs> the fact, though... That I'm discussing Nagatoro as the second most looked forward to show of this season right after Vinland Saga is a fucking crime against humanity.
1: It's pain.
0: (laughs) I'm going to do my service here, but just know that the more I talk about this show, the more angry I'm going to get. For those of you that watch season one of Nagatoro, yourself included, you know the premise. This is a story of an introverted, somewhat shy, second year high school student who one day meets this first year girl Nagatoro in the library. Nagatoro finds out that the main character, whose name I literally cannot even remember because she only ever calls him senpai, (laughs) he likes to draw manga. And so when Nagatoro finds out, she sees it and begins to verbally abuse him to the point of crying. And this is how their friendship, their friendship starts. And somehow, after constant bullying, verbally, physically, and sexually... This stupid motherfucker develops a crush on Nagatoro. Like, I get there's an argument to be made here about abusive relationships and victims within those relationships. That's not that's what the show is doing. <laughs> that's a fucking stretch that's here. That's a real stretch here. That's not what's happening. Because there is nothing redeeming about Nagatoro at any point in this show. <laughs> so I can already see you sitting there being like, well, if you hated this show so much and you still hate this show so much, why are you watching it? Well, I want to say, first of all, shut the fuck up, because you also watched it hating it all of season one. (laughs) And second, because like any romance, I actually do want to see what the payoff of the two characters is going to be if they actually develop this romance and if they actually develop a relationship. You're making a nah face out here.
1: I can't believe that.
0: I just think that for better or for worse, I'm going to still watch season two. And... My review of season two, at least from the first three episodes, nothing has changed. Like, really, so little has changed. The relationship between Senpai and Nagatoro is a little more awkward, I guess, in the way that unspoken crushes are. But as usual, the show follows the same exact narrative structure with every interaction. Senpai, being his usual introverted self, does something absolutely mundane, like deciding how he wants to say hi to Nagatoro on the walk to school in the morning. Like, if you have a crush on someone, totally fair. You might be like, what's the best way to say hi to them? We see this shit happening in Kaguya all the time. Should I be comparing this to Kaguya? No, I'm not. <laughs> Nagatoro then turns the situation around on him and relentlessly bullies him for like 20 seconds. And then after being goaded, Senpai does something that catches Nagatoro off guard, which is usually some ridiculous sexual premise like he grabs her from behind because the entire time she's like what are you not a normal high school boy where you want to grab a girl and then he fucking does it and then Nagatoro like every tsundere in existence we get to see her embarrassed soft side that every fan of the tsundere trope lives for however at this point that structure I think has lost any sense of novelty it's just so predictable to the point that even the tsundere payoff You're hearing this from a guy who fucks with tsundere's. Like, I love tsundere's. (laughs) But even here, the payoff is barely worth it. To be fair, the situations in season two seemed designed to progress the relationship more than in season one. Like how in one of the first few episodes, Senpai and Nagatoro go on a date that's not really a date to the zoo. But you have to watch a lot of shit to get to the tiny nugget of romantic progression that we get in each episode. Could this be better than season one? Yeah, it totally could. If Senpai and Nagatoro actually communicated normally, like once ever, and if this girl stopped continuously ragging on him. Do I see that happening as a likely scenario enough for me to recommend you or anyone else to watch this? Hell no. It's just a show with pretty
1: middling production and animation and a really bad premise and non-endearing characters to the point that I don't know how you can say that you care about the romantic progression because I don't. I do have a story about Nagatoro though. And I think I told you this. I don't think I've said it on the podcast, but in one of our, like, first episodes, I mentioned that one of my cousins growing up was the first person to get me into anime. And he showed me Death Note and a few other things. And that was sort of my first experience with anime beyond just, like, Pokemon or other things. He was kind of my gateway point of contact into anime and we were really close growing up and he lives in Israel but we'd go spend summers there and so we'd like stay up watching anime and stuff and he got married this fall so we flew over to Israel with my family and my partner and went to his wedding super good time and so we we set aside like some time to catch up and it was just me and him and his wife and my partner, and. We're talking about a bunch of things that he still watches some anime, plays a lot of video games and board games. So we're just like trying to catch up on like, you know, what have you been up to all these past two years? It's been a few years since we've seen each other. And of course, it naturally just came up that we're talking about the podcast and we're talking about what anime did you like recently? He's like, you know which one I really liked? What's that one where the guy gets bullied by the girl that he likes? And I was like, Nagatoro? He's like, yeah, 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 Nagatoru, I thought that one was hilarious. Like, I really, really liked it. And I just had this complete, like, glass-shattering moment. <laughs> like, this person that I really like and look up to that was the person responsible for getting into anime could have such horrific taste. So that's my Nagatoro story. I was so disappointed. I was fucking heartbroken. As soon as we left, I was talking to my partner, and I was just like... I can't believe that happened. <laughs> That's,
0: That's What it feels like to see your her heroes fall, man. <laughs> yeah, true. Can't have heroes anymore. No, but honestly, I've seen a lot of people talk about Nagatoro like that. Like, even if you look at the Mal reviews for season two, you'll see people being like, "Yeah, you know, I started watching Nagatoro, and then it really hit its stride with the romance, and I really want to see where it progresses from here on." And I'm like, the romance has never hit its stride. There is no chance that it's hit its stride so far. <laughs> The only reason I'm watching it at this point is definitely sunk cost because I hate starting a romance and then being like, where the fuck is it going to (laughs) go? And if it doesn't progress at some point during season two, I don't know what hope this show has. Like even Kaguya, I think that season two is vastly superior to season one because of the fact that the romance doesn't really progress until the very end of season one here. That also is true. There's almost no romantic progression in season one. But unlike Kage, which has a fucking banger of a second season, which really brings the characters together, I'm not seeing that so far in Nagatoro. I don't know if we'll ever get that. I'm going to arrest you if you can compare this to Kage one more time.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) so Let's move on and talk about Nier, which I have to say is Nier Automata Ver. 1.1a because they had to pick the most confusing, annoying name possible for this, being done by A1 Pictures, maybe not being done by A1 Pictures anymore. And I know that you were very, very excited for this as a huge fan of the video game.
0: Yeah, so I will say that anytime I talk about Nier, I mean Nier Automata because the original game, the first game in the franchise is Nier. So even though I said that this was a comparatively slow season compared to fall I was going to say we, but it seems like it's just going to be me, I, at least know that that's not really a fair comparison. Because in my opinion, the anime daddies are still feeding us relatively well this season. I know you've said it's a shit season. I'm going to disagree with you there still again. We have Vinland Saga. We have Trigun, which we'll talk about later. And the show that I was surprisingly most excited about, even more than Vinland Saga for some reason, was Nier Automata. I was first introduced to the franchise through the video game of the same name that I watched my partner play a couple years ago. And I know we've definitely talked about this off the podcast, and I think you've agreed with me that I love watching people play video games, especially RPGs because it's very similar to anime in that it's a passive experience where you get to really experience the story still and admire the visuals and listen to the soundtrack, but the stakes are really low because you're not actually in control. So it is this passive viewing experience that I just really enjoy. It's also really relaxing for me to watch Noobs play something like Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring, or in this case, Nier. A few things struck me about Nier when She was playing it for the first time. First, the visuals are amazing. The setting is this beautiful, eroding, post-apocalyptic world with expansive, detailed environments that showcase life struggling to survive amidst corruption. Second, the soundtrack. The sound design and OST for this game, have I sent you any music from this? I don't think you've sent it to me, but I have heard snippets of it, yeah. Okay. So the fact that you've heard it without even playing the game, I think is already a testament to how well this OST is known. It definitely ranks up there in the same levels as Bastion or Celeste or Journey or even Skyrim for me. And I think when you play Persona 5, that's another one that I'm really, really excited for because I want to hear your thoughts on songs like Beneath the Mask or Last Surprise. And finally, the gameplay here near does something incredibly unique in gaming where it frequently switches between different gameplay styles or genres if you remember that scene at the beginning of episode one where i think you'd probably like to forget it but 2b is flying this mech in this shitty looking cgi (laughs) that's actually straight from the game which is a shoot-em-up style sequence reminiscent of something like space invaders The computer text sequences where you see characters communicating or lore being explained, those are in the game as well as text adventures. And then you obviously have the RPG style of the game where you explore as 2B or 9S or characters we haven't even seen yet. And so this is just something on the edge of gaming for me. This is something that's truly unique, something that develops a lot of lore and gets people interested in it. It has many different endings, which... We're starting to see in the show as well, in the first episode, where they tell you that it has many different endings. But to actually experience those, or to watch someone experience those, is a whole different experience. So I don't think it's surprising that I was super excited to see this story adapted to anime, because I think it could be done really, really well. I don't know so far if that's been the case, though. Before we talk about that, and I know you have a lot of thoughts on this one, what is Nier Automata about? Set in the distant future, the narrative follows a number of androids engaged in this proxy war between human-generated androids and alien-generated machines. When aliens invaded Earth using their machines, humans were nearly eradicated and forced to flee to the moon where they organized a counterattack using android soldiers. In the present day, the war between the androids and the machines on Earth is at a stalemate. The first character we follow to be is a combat android sent in to break this stalemate, but along the way who begins to notice and piece together elements of a deeper mystery at play on Earth. So, when it comes to thoughts on the show, what did you think about it?
1: So, I was actually excited for this because of knowing how excited you were for it and how much you love the game. And I came into this otherwise with basically no knowledge of Nier beyond... That exact experience of other people speaking really highly of the video game franchise. And I can explain to you very succinctly how my how my experience with the near went. So I fired up the first episode. I watched it, and I said, "Wow, that sucked." <laughs> Narratively, that was pretty bland beyond Toby's entrance scene being quite good. It really had some of the worst CGI I have, like, ever seen in anime. Like, they ripped that shit straight from the game, which is just not a good sign for any kind of production. Then, after watching that first episode, we got news, and I went, hmm, and got swapped from two continuous cores to two split cores. That's fine at baseline, but it's probably not a good sign that they're making calls like that on the fly. Then, episodes two and three came out, I watched those and I was like, okay, those were quite improved. We yeeted most of the shitty CGI and the game assets and we got into some smaller details of the world. I think that's generally where this anime could be very good is if it fleshes out a lot of those tiny details you maybe don't get a chance to spend time with in the game in an animated format. And then I was intrigued and I said, okay, let's see how this will develop. And then we got news that this is indefinitely delayed due to quote-unquote COVID, probably actually production issues, and we have no idea when it's coming back, if it'll come back, or what's going to happen. It's been like two-plus weeks, and we haven't gotten any news. So that's already not good. That's basically how my experience
0: went. Does that sound positive to you? I don't know. (laughs) Not great. So the first thing I want to say is that the show, at least in episode one is extremely faithful to the video game. Like, the entire story shown in that episode where Tubi is infiltrating this machine factory and where she's fighting the Goliath, is actually taken straight from the game. And the reason I know that is, well, first of all, I, I watched my partner play it, but we also watched it together, and she was the entire time pointing at the screen being like, yeah, I've seen that. Like, that looks so familiar. <laughs> it's because it's the same fucking thing. It's the exact same thing. It's like if someone was adapting an anime from a manga, and you're like, you're, you're a manga reader, and you're like, wow, this looks really familiar. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Now, that includes things like the dialogue and the music, and, and I love those elements of it, so I was really happy to see those. I think that future episodes definitely do stray away from this one-to-one match. I've only seen episodes one and two. I haven't seen episode three. I think that straying is going to be good because I hope it fleshes out the world a little more and it provides perspective on the situation from new characters. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the visuals are good in episode one because they're not. The CGI there... It does not blend into the 2D animation well at all. It's definitely distracting to the point where I was just kind of chuckling at it, which is just a really bad sign, especially if it's in the first five minutes of your show, where most people are like, should I watch this or should I not watch this? If at that point you're laughing at the show, like it's, it's really not it's a good not sign. It's not great. Yeah. Aside from that though, I think the rest of the animation was actually really nice. Especially the fight animation when Tubi is fighting the circular saw or the Goliath. There's a lot of really cool foreground-background discrepancy there where like the background you see the giant mech moving and Tubi is running up the arm in the foreground with dust there as well. Like I think it looked really good. The use of CGI is also blended way better, especially in episode two. And the backgrounds that you see still evoke that sense of mysterious tension, but also adventurous wonder that I felt when I was watching someone play the game. I think episode two is a real step up, as you said, especially because it begins this emotional narrative about humanity within the robots and also finding beauty amidst war. I'm definitely going to continue watching whenever we get some fucking confirmation that this is ever going to come out. I don't know how the production issues are going to impact this. I really hope that they just postpone it and tell us they're going to postpone it if it's just going to keep coming out with crap. I really do not want them to give me a terrible, terrible adaptation of a game that I really like.
1: Yeah, I think what it's really going to hinge on is the ultimate question of, is this just a glorified ad for the game or not? That's the question that needs to be answered. Is this an adaptation where you're going to flesh out the world, you're going to do interesting things, you're going to adapt it kind of independently while taking a lot of inspiration for it? Or are you just going to advertise the game? And to be fair, it has gotten me interested in potentially playing it. I know it's got a lot of other people potentially interested in playing it, so it is doing that in a way. I did want to ask you one thing, which I've seen a lot of big fans of the game talk about, and I want to get your take on it. It sounds like you do think this could be adapted well, but... A lot of people I've seen have discourse around, basically, should you just play the game? And can you even have the full experience of Nier without playing it from an active perspective? Basically, does the narrative fundamentally require you to be an active participant? And is any other way to tell the story just a step down? I think that's an interesting thing to consider because ideally when you're creating stories, you're trying to take advantage of the medium in which you're telling that story. So does that at all
0: resonate with you or do you think the anime could just do as good of a job? Yeah, so there's a lot of parts to that answer because it's a complicated issue, right? And it's funny that you asked that because I asked my partner that last night when we were watching it, which is basically how much did you enjoy watching these first two episodes versus playing the game? And I think from my experience and from her experience, being an active participant in this game is definitely more worth it, especially because of the nature of its multiple endings. I think that this adaptation can definitely do great things, and I think it definitely could stand alone as a cool adaptation of the game. But also, if you enjoy this adaptation, I will say that you will probably enjoy playing the game a lot. I don't want to say something like, this adaptation is useless, right? Because it still has elements that it could contribute to the story. It's just a different way to experience the game. And I really enjoy that. But at the same time, the active participation in something like Nier... I think it just hits a different emotion within you. People are having this discourse right now with The Last of Us 2, which is extremely, extremely popular. It's one of the largest video game adaptations. I don't think I've seen a game being adapted into a TV show that has had as much of a splash as The Last of Us is having right now. And that's amazing. The Last of Us is one of my favorite video games of all time. I absolutely loved playing it. But at the same time, I think there are things that the visualization of it on TV is doing differently than the game ever could. And people are angry about that for some reason. There's definitely a a vocal minority that says that oh, the video game did things this way. It explored so many other paths and the game just offers one linear story that you can't explore all the other possibilities. And you're like, yeah, fair but why is that an actual criticism of the show? That's not a criticism of the actual content within the show. That's a criticism of how you feel as a gamer that wants to explore other storylines. I don't think that's a fair comparison. Yeah. I mean, I think
1: it still for me comes back to, is this an ad for the game or is this a story you actually want to tell that has a vision and a creative purpose behind it? But I think it is an interesting discussion thinking about how different stories can take advantage of different media. I also think we have to mention the cute puppet scenes at the end that people seem to be really enjoying.
0: Yeah, I was very surprised. I didn't know how to feel about it when I actually first saw those. I was like, "Oh, this is a bit jarring. And then you think (laughs) back to all of the different styles that the game actually uses, and you're like, this is actually a nice homage to the original game, because yeah, the puppet sequences, the text sequences, the random backstories with the different animation style, I think those are elements that show that A1 is actually putting time into it. Yeah, episode one fell a little bit flat because of the poor CGI, but I think there's still a lot to look forward to here. Like I said, I'm going to be really sad if this adaptation doesn't pan out the way I want it to. Well, we'll keep you posted on if we actually ever get more near or not.
1: All right. Next, we are going to talk about knockoff Walmart spy family. I mean, buddy daddies done by (laughs) PA Works.
0: I just had to do it. Sorry. So (laughs) the only reason I watch this show is that people kept popping off on Twitter saying this was something like gay spy fam. And I'm here to tell you that that's a fucking lie. (laughs) Buddy Daddies follows two professional assassins in Tokyo, Kazuki Kurusu and Rei Suwa. On one of their missions to assassinate a child trafficker on Christmas Eve, Kazuki and Rei find their carefully laid plan thrown into chaos by four-year-old Miri, who's been sent alone to Tokyo by her mother... To search for her father. I'm going to say that one more time. This four-year-old has been (laughs) sent alone to Tokyo to search for her dad. Who the fuck does that? What is wrong with this mother? Anyway, (laughs) Kazuki decides to bring Miri back home with them and try to return her to her mother because their assassin lifestyles leave no room for outside relationships. Literally the first episode, Ray tries to get a cat and... Kazuki out here is like, no, you can't have this cat. We can't have relationships with outside things because we're assassins. And then he brings home a fucking (laughs) (laughs) four-year-old. And so the more time the two spend with Miri, despite her overwhelming energy and disruption to their missions, the more they find themselves becoming an unlikely family. So when you hear this premise, I know how you could think yeah, this definitely sounds similar to Spy Fam. It has assassins living a lifestyle unfit for a kid, forming an unconventional family with a rambunctious child at its center. However, that's where the similarities really end. Unlike in Spy Fam, where Lloyd and Yor are both extremely competent at their actual jobs and still manage through a lot of effort to maintain a functional family. Kazuki and Rei are wholly unable to balance their jobs with their family. I mean, they have no redeeming qualities when it comes to being parents. Like, it's pretty clear that Kazuki only cares about his relationship with Miri, and he only finds it enjoyable in the first few episodes because she makes him feel better about himself. And that's a really shitty way to parent somebody. If you're like, I want a kid because I want to feel good about myself, you shouldn't have a kid. And I get that Lloyd adopted Anya for his mission in SpyFam, but at least she's integral to his plan and therefore he has to be a good dad, which neither Kazuki nor Rey are. And Miri. Now, I haven't read any of the reviews for Buddy Daddy. Maybe people are going to absolutely trash on me for saying this. Miri is a fucking annoying character. <laughs> Unlike Anya, who's a source of entropy in Lloyd's plans for sure, but also serves a useful function for both Lloyd and the viewer because of her telepathy. Miri is just a source of chaos. That's all she is. She literally only ruins the plans that Kazuki and Ray put together, and then the two somehow have to make sure that they don't all get killed while Miri is running around screaming like a kid. And I get it. She is a kid. That's definitely realistic. But I think the last thing that can be said about the scenario in either Buddy Daddies or Spy Fam are that they're realistic. They're definitely hyperbolic. They're fantastical for the fun of it. So to add in a realistic child into the mix makes the show way less enjoyable to watch. Obviously, I've only been bragging on Buddy Daddies this entire time. I have to say something nice about it. I will say the nice thing. I mean, I don't. (laughs) I will say that the nice thing about Buddy Daddies is that the animation looks pretty good when it gets good and that they don't really shy away from the killing here, which is a weird statement. But in Spy Fam, you'll see your, like assassinate 30 people and at the most you'll see maybe like a splash of blood on the wall or you'll just see a bunch of like unconscious bodies and you just have to assume, like, yeah, I'm assuming she killed those people. In Buddy Daddies, you'll have people getting shot And they'll actually get shot. Like, you'll actually see them fucking die. And so it's like, this is a nice change of pace. Will I keep watching the show for that? Definitely not. So all that is to say, it is shitty Spy Family. (laughs) It's not even shitty Spy Family. Like, people (laughs) need to stop comparing it to Spy Family. It's not even fucking
1: close. I mean, it does seem like because Spy Family has been so massively successful, just this season, we have Buddy Daddies and Spy Classroom two shows centered around at least the broad theme of spies and assassins and kind of at least trying to set themselves in the same genre and with how good spy family is how good the production and the adaptation of it is it's gonna be hard to really live up to the comparison but yeah if you strip away all of the feel-good family aspects of the show and the interesting characters then like what are you really left with I guess that's basically.
0: Yeah, people are also comparing it a lot to the what's the, Yakuza Dad one that came out a few seasons ago. Oh yeah, the babysitting one, right? Yeah, the Yakuza's exactly. Guide so, to
1: Babysitting or House something like that. I don't remember.
0: Yeah, the House Husbands Yakuza Way of the some house husband. like some shit Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think and those so, are two different shows. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people are comparing it to that one too, as a mix of like Spy Fam and whatever this fucking Yakuza Dad one is. And I just don't think it serves either of those comparisons well. There is a point to be made here that we shouldn't be comparing shows to other shows, especially if those shows are really well-known or really popular. I just don't think Buddy Daddy has anything to add. As assassins, they do a shit job. As parents, they do a shit job. As a kid, the kid's a fucking annoying piece of shit. So what? It, what is <laughs> redeeming here? Nothing. All right.
1: Let's move on to the next show. I didn't actually know you were going to watch this, but of course you had to include an isekai, and it looks like a light novel isekai. <laughs> I just wrote <rubbed> the title.
0: <laughs> so I don't know why, but it really does feel like a while since I've talked about an isekai on the podcast. Do you feel like that? I guess thinking about it, yes, but like I didn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. I'll just see myself out.
1: We also just <laughs> talked about SAO like three seconds ago. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're right that we watched the fucking SAO movie. But it's a, SAO is an old IP. Oh, man. One of the good number of isekai It is a light novel series. Season, <laughs> of course it's a light novel series. You had to fucking look it up to figure that out. <laughs> One of the good number of isekai coming out this season is the magical revolution of the reincarnated princess and the genius young lady. Now, listen, I got to temper expectations here. I know that I'm the isekai guy on this podcast, and I love Shida isekai and whatever, but please, please, for the love of all things good, do not let that stop you from going and trying out this show, because it is such a nice change of pace for most of the isekai that I've seen, and you're going to see why. Tenten Kakumi, as it's otherwise known, follows Princess Anisphia, otherwise named Anis? Anis? Anis, who is royalty (laughs) in her kingdom, but is incapable of using magic like others of noble heritage. However, Anis has always dreamed of using magic to fly ever since she saw glimpses of her past life. And so to make that dream come true, she devotes herself to the study of magicology, a field that she's basically developed that combines elements from this fantasy world with her knowledge of life on Earth. In her pursuit of magicology, Anis renounces her right to the throne, which then passes to her younger brother Algard, who it seems is jealous of Anis's freedom and rebels against the expectations also put on him. One such rebellion is annulling his political betrothal to Euphilia Magenta, a talented and beautiful magician. Anis, however, rescues Euphelia from shame after the prince publicly breaks off their engagement and decides to make Euphelia her research assistant, starting a relationship between an eccentric girl who can't use magic and a talented magician who never had the freedom to live her own life. So it's Yuri. It is Yuri, baby. Nice. Tenten Kakume is so cute, like so fucking cute. It's such a refreshing change of pace from the male power fantasy that, don't get me wrong, I definitely enjoy that, but that accounts for upwards of 90% of isekai. Anis is one of the few female leads in isekai in the company of Katerina from Villainous and Yoko from the Twelve Kingdoms. This show is also one of the only, if not the only, because I honestly couldn't remember another show I'd seen. It's a Yuri isekai, as you said. I cannot think of another Yuri isekai. And I know that's absolutely biased because I'm sure if Colleen came on here, she'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? There's like a hundred shoujo Yuri isekai. But it's just a space that I'm not familiar with. And after watching this, I am definitely going to look further into it. Because as I said, it is so fucking cute. Tenten Kakume still maintains some classic isekai tropes we're familiar with, but it flips the male-centered harem dynamic that's all too popular nowadays on its head. Instead, it highlights a more balanced relationship, showing how two characters that each have something the other lacks can complement each other. Anis is still reminiscent of the OP isekai protagonist because of the memories she has of her previous life that definitely give her a leg up in this society. But... She's also limited. She's limited by her inability to use magic in a way that provides an interesting twist to the story and that provides a niche that's perfectly filled by Euphilia. Having two characters with an actual emotional relationship, holy shit, it's gratifying to say that in an isekai, is just a breath of fresh air for the genre and I'm super excited to see where this show goes. I just did a quick Google search for Yuri Isekai, and there are, it
1: seems like a few, but not anime adapted like it seems like there's quite a few or not quite a few but at least a few that people are recommending in the manga space or the novel Mm -hmm. space but not really that have been adapted I'm sure there is some older stuff like we talked about in our isekai episode that the origins of isekai are in fantasy and fantasy that often has female leads so there's I'm sure stuff you could find in the same vein but yeah you might be right that
0: like in the modern anime climate this is pretty unique yeah, and again, I mentioned Colleen, I'm just going to mention her again, that she talked about this, and she's talked about this on her YouTube channel as well, that it's very, very frustrating that the shojo space has quality material that's better than shounen in a lot of ways, but that just doesn't get adapted because producers and production studios think that the viewership for shonen is just going to be higher. And after seeing this, yeah, I totally understand a little bit how she feels about the space, because... It's just sad that I'm not going to be able to go out and find more content like this. Yeah. So support the Shoujo, Jose,
1: Yuri, etc. that does get adapted and maybe we'll see a little bit more.
0: You are going to do that? You are going to watch this now? I'm probably not going to watch this, but I don't really watch Motherfucker. this Motherfucker. So.
1: <laughs> I have been starting to go through more Shoujo and Jose with my partner so we just watched kids on the slope and we're gonna watch some stuff like kimony and watakoi and a few others that are on our list so i'm doing my work in other spaces <laughs> that's <what that> <laughs> all right let's move on to the next show which i think we're really excited to talk about and that's trigun stampede being done by studio orange so the premise here is that reporters Meryl strife and Roberto De Niro, I had to include their full names because that is obviously intentional, traverse the desert looking for a scoop on the infamous outlaw Vash the Stampede. They ultimately find him in the small town of Genora Rock, but he's completely different from the rumors that have been flying around about him. He's carefree, a proponent of peace, and beloved by the citizens of the town. His inaccurate representation, it turns out, is in fact due to the atrocities committed by his brother, Millions Knives, and chaos soon arrives at the town in the form of bounty hunters searching for Vash and trying to steal the town's power plant.
0: My boy, Millions Knives. Why is it not Million Knives? Why is it Millions Knives? Why is that S there? (laughs) I like it. Millions Knives. It just flows better.
1: (laughs) No, it doesn't. It strictly flows worse. (laughs) So the way I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that this is a quote-unquote reimagining of Trigun, where it's not exactly a remake of the 1998 anime, nor is it a complete adaptation of the legendary manga Brotherhood style, but rather a similar story told with directional and narrative changes as well as slightly altered character designs. When you couple that with the fact that this is an entirely CGI adaptation done by Studio Orange who's done CGI work on Land of the Lustrous and B-Stars and a few other projects. Naturally, this has gotten a lot of criticism from fans of the older works whether it's the anime or the manga. I think that's also evident because it is pretty much towards the end of this list in terms of popularity in terms of people watching it. I think on the last Reddit weekly anime charts, it wasn't even in the top 15 discussed shows, which is crazy. Like, actually just insane. So, I myself have not seen or read any Trigun prior to this. I do intend to watch the original at some point. But that being said, fuck the haters. (laughs) I don't know how you could watch the first few episodes of Trigun Stampede and not see what they're going for with this adaptation. The characters are super expressive and hilarious. The CGI looks really good. Even if you do prefer it just being 2D, the CGI just objectively looks very good as we've come to expect from Studio Orange. The action is on a level that's honestly hard to describe and that is in part because it's all CGI. They can take a lot more risks and do a lot more creative things with the camera movements and things like that. If you don't believe me, just go watch the end of the first episode where Vash duels against a police officer and he has to shoot a single bullet at a collection of missiles raining down on the town. I was fucking losing my mind. <laughs> when I saw that the end of that first episode, I was like, I am absolutely sold on this. What did you think
0: of Stampy? Yeah. So, I said this before the Nagatoro. The ordering of shows this season just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: It's wrong. The fact that
0: we're talking about Trigon Stampede after Buddy Daddies, (laughs) after Buddy Daddies, makes this feel like I'm in a fucking fever dream out here. I'm going to say this very clearly. I find it an absolute travesty that the show has a rating of 7.3 on Mal right now with less than 90,000 people adding it to their lists.
1: It's only been four episodes. Like, you know all of those reviews are from... Genuinely, just haters who liked the old stuff can't stand CGI and are just stuck in their ways. Like, that is like 100% why it has that score.
0: I mean, sure, sure. I I don't disagree with that. It's infuriating. If you're going to have a show with a 7.3 rating at this point with so few people watching it, I think getting out of that hole is going to be incredibly difficult. I don't think the show is ever going to break into the space given how few people are watching it and all the hate it's received. It's just very frustrating.
1: What's interesting and I just want to mention is that you're right in talking about how it's not that popular and it's been review bombed by people, fans of the original that don't like it. I feel like this is the first time that I feel like I'm in a huge echo chamber where everybody that I know that I follow on Twitter that have either been guests of the podcast or other people in the anime space that I like is talking about how good the show is. And they're like the only people (laughs) apparently on the planet that are talking about how good this show is. So I don't know what it is about my echo chamber, but that is 100% what is happening. And yeah, I don't know how it's going to really break out. Seems like it's not really going to. And that's honestly a shame.
0: Yeah. As I've been reflecting on this show, I can't honestly think of a larger discrepancy between my experience with the show so far and how the community has rated it. For those people saying that it doesn't live up to the original, I think that's a shit take. I understand the desire to compare it to the original because it's so loved. But as we just talked about, at length with Nier and shows like The Last of Us and even Buddy Daddies, Stampede is its own work and it brings to the table something new. Because of that, it should be evaluated in that way. It should be evaluated independent of the original. And what it brings, and as usual, what most people are dunking on, is the CGI. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Studio Orange's other works. We all know that. I'm not a huge fan of something like Beastars, but I can definitely still say that that's not because of the CGI. The CGI is excellent, and the people hating on it are biased against CGI. And those people, there's nothing you can do. Like, you you can't change someone's opinion about how CGI is going to look. For some reason, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, shit unlimited blade works you that looks fucking sick and then you look at studio orange and they're like this looks like crap and i'm like are you using your eyes are you watching what's going on on the screen in front of you i think trigon looks amazing everything from the escape pod sequence in the first episode to the desert fight in the second episode to the millions knives character design and fight in the third episode you mentioned that the characters are hilarious. The facial expressions of what is so Meryl Streep? What the fuck is her name?
1: <laughs> Meryl, yeah.
0: Yeah, there you go. Meryl <laughs> Streep and fucking Robert De Niro, their facial expressions are hilarious. And their character interactions just make the show for me, even excluding Vash. And so I, I just don't understand. It's it's so frustrating for me. That people can look at the fluidity of that animation and how well it blends with the backgrounds and other elements and think that that's bad. It makes me so sad that people are not going to listen to the music and listen to the voice acting and that's not going to break into the public sphere. The opening and ending are fucking amazing. So good. And they honestly might go on my shortlist for awards at the end of the year. And Vash's VA, in both Japanese and in English, deliver Absolutely phenomenal performances. If you want to listen to that, just go listen to the scene from episode two where Vash is running away from the townspeople. Like, I'm sure someone's made a YouTube about this, even comparing the VAs. That is excellent VA work from Yoshitsugu Matsuoka. I butcher that name, but he also plays Inosuke in Demon Slayer, Soma from Food Wars. And do you actually know this? He plays Kirito in SAO. Perfect. The best VA of all time. (laughs) Exactly. In English, Vash's VA is Johnny Young Bosch. If you know anything about English VAs, that name should be familiar, to you. He is a legend in the VA community for performances like Vash in the original Trigun, Ichigo in Bleach, and Lelouch in Code Geass. He was also a Power Ranger. Like, he was actually on the Power (laughs) Ranger show. That's such a fucking cool fact. Overall, I just... I'm really loving Trigun. I really wish more people would watch it. it. It really frustrates me that the hate here is become so prevalent. I think it's really undeserved in my opinion. I will say, you know what? If anybody out here likes fucking gaming, if you've played Borderlands, especially Borderlands 2, and you know what the game style looks like, it looks so much like what you see in Trigun. Truly those people hating on the CGI here, if you like something like Borderlands, you have no place saying that the CGI is bad.
1: I think right up there with Vinland Saga, this is my favorite easily of the season. It's just this great blend between sci-fi and Western genres. I am like fully understanding what people went through in the late 90s, having crushes on all of the characters from Trigun. Like... Just an absolute selection of hot men from Vash to fucking Nicholas Wolfwood or whatever the fuck his name is. He gets introduced in episode four, which I don't think you've seen, but there are hot men (laughs) in this anime, which is great. I asked you to specifically watch up until episode three, which did introduce the main antagonist apparently much earlier than the original series did so that's already one change that i actually think even some fans of the original have said is good and that completely hooked me on where the narrative is going and how dark some parts of it might be so i don't think there's that much more to say about how fun trigon is how memorable the characters are how great this version of it is and the original still exists and i think we're both planning to go watch it at some point so there's no reason to be missing out on this
0: Yeah, comparing it to the original, there are fans of the original here that have been saying things like, oh, you need to know the lore of the original. You need to have additional context that this new season doesn't provide. Motherfucker, there's four episodes out. What are you talking about? You don't. Just watch it. It's fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Obviously, there's a whole world left to be explored. There's characters to be introduced. There's character relationships to be explored. Like, You can't write off a show in the first four episodes because you don't understand all of the lore. That is a shitty take. All right, enough
1: ranting about old haters. We have two shows left.
0: Yeah, it's a rant about new this haters. This should be interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the first is Onimai, being done by Studio Bind, famously known for adapting Mushoku Tensei. Naturally, I did not watch this. Naturally, you did. So talk to me, you degenerate. I, I don't think you can say
0: naturally after you're watching Urusei Yatsura, okay? Like, <laughs>
1: Ursay answer is better than Onimai.
0: I'm not arguing against that. Onimai, I don't know what the rating is, but it's better than some shit this season, somehow. The rating, not my opinion of it. The rating. Don't get that confused. I'm not going to lie here. The only reason I'm watching the show is because it's being done by Studio Bind and because I was such a fan of Mushoku Tensei. And from watching the first two episodes, I think we can all agree that Studio Bind is really digging themselves into a hole here. In Mushoku Tensei, there was warranted criticism about the male gaze and over-sexualization of underage women. And it seems like Bind took those criticisms and was like, well, we know we have to produce something to bring in money for the studio while we work on other things, like possibly the next season of Mushoku Tensei. Why don't we pick up the show where a guy gets a forced sex transition into a middle school girl and then takes every opportunity we can To put the camera in the most sexually suggestive places. So yeah, I get the controversy that Onimai is drawing up. Briefly, the show is basically what I just said. Mahiro Oyama is a neat who hasn't left his home in years and instead spends his time playing video games all day. One day, however, he wakes up feeling a little bit weird, as as you would and to his surprise, finds that he has been transformed into a young girl by his younger sister, Mihari. This is confusing. The guy is Mahiro. His sister is Mihari. Mihari's plan is to use this transition to rehabilitate Mahiro and extract him from his neat lifestyle. The show follows Mahiro as he adjusts to his new body and goes along with the plan that Mihari has secretly laid out for him. So first things first, if you want an in-depth exploration of how this show handles sexual identity and sexual transitions and what it's like to be a woman, I am not the person to give that to you. It should be immediately obvious why that's true. <laughs> Neither am I, just for the record. <laughs> a really good dissection can be found over at Anime Feminist, written by a previous podcast guest, Sai. What I can tell you is that Onimai makes me uncomfortable. It fails to take a nuanced tone with respect to transitioning, and instead doubles down on this weird fetish that anime has for young girls. There is this constant implicit sexualization of Mahiro's female body, where there really should be none. And with respect to the experience of living as a woman, the show just breaches the surface of that discussion, but doesn't choose to ever bear it out. Like, let me give you an example. So, in the second episode titled My Hero's Time of the Month, you can expect that My Hero in this episode is going to have their first period in this new body. You're having a stroke over there. <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm honestly struggling. <laughs> I gotta take my jacket off for this one. It's getting too heated <laughs> under here. And so Mihari, who I'm assuming is a late teenager by this point, has to explain to her sister that they're going through a process that nearly half of all humans on this earth go through. And I'm like, okay, well, this could be done in a really great way to destigmatize periods and explain to an audience what it's like to have to experience this every month. And how does the show go about it? Well, Mihari realizes that Mahiro is on their period and fails to convey in any way that that's what's going on other than when Mihiro realizes they have to pee and Mihari is like, well, don't be too surprised, okay? What the actual fuck? What What is happening here? You plan to transition your older brother into a girl and didn't anticipate having to lead them through any of the life experiences of being a woman? What? I think, again, what really gets me with this show is that I get it. The bar is low. I get that. But it really could have been something more, and that pisses me off beyond how uncomfortable it already feels. As usual, talking about the other elements, I think the show is getting more recognition than it should because Studio Bind is still delivering on very fluid animation. Personally, I still think the animation is oversaturated. The backgrounds are really simplistic. This is really something that they probably sunk minimal amount of time into, hopefully. I don't even know why you would watch this show for the animation when the content being animated is just so bad. If you want a flavor of the show, I don't know why you would, just go watch the opening to see what I mean and make your decision there. It has great animation and a cute song, but then you watch what's actually happening on screen and it's just like a giant, I should probably bleach my eyes out. I will say, I think the animation and the
1: opening are nice. Again, that feels weird to say about this show. And it just confirms that Studio Bind is using their powers for evil. Like, why are you doing this? I do. Listen, this to okay. Me? Listen for, for <laughs> Mushoku
0: Tensei... At least there was the other stuff, you know. There's still like an arguably reasonable reason to want to produce that content. Yeah. What production committee was like? Yeah, let's adapt Onimai, which I've heard people say the manga is actually somewhat redeeming. It's cute and funny and slice of life and that the anime has destroyed it. That makes it worse. (laughs) I I just don't understand how that's possible. Maybe some manga reader out there can explain it to me, but there is nothing here that I would want to watch, especially, especially if I were a member of a community that was thinking about transitioning or wanted to know what it was like to experience life as a woman, it is even worse, arguably, if coming from that perspective.
1: Yeah, I'm going to hazard a guess that we don't have any listeners that are only my source readers, but of course, you never know. Yeah. I did want to bring up the caveat that I've read at least a few chapters, threads or comments. No, <laughs> I have read some discussion about How for some people, this narrative and this story is trans-affirming in some way. And if it does that for you and it is affirming of your transition and does validate that and does work for you in that way, then that's great. Like, obviously, we don't want to discourage you watching something that might do that for you. We're obviously not the people to have that kind of perspective, as you already mentioned. But I think for us viewers, at least for you and me, looking at this without that inner perspective to try to appreciate that part of the story becomes completely meaningless when there's so much fan service and so many fan service shots and just crazy sexualized shots of underage women. Like that kind of ruins anything else you're trying to do with the show in a sense of trying to be affirming for trans people and i don't really give studio bind the benefit of the doubt that that's what they're trying to do to be honest but obviously if you have that experience with it like we don't want to take away from that we want to acknowledge that otherwise i have nothing else to say about the show studio bind stop it (laughs) please all right the last show of the season is the fire hunter which is being done over at signal md and i'm gonna see if this premise resonates with you at all So the fire hunter takes place after humanity's last war, where the world is enveloped in dark forest and people burst into flame in the presence of natural fire. This is Promare. (laughs) The only safe source of fire can be obtained by fire hunters who hunt black beasts called flame spirits that reside deep in the forest. One day, a village-raised girl named Toko witnesses the death of such a fire hunter and sets out on a journey to bring his hunting dog back to the capital where a former student named Koshi also
0: resides. I mean, the premise sounds very interesting.
1: I figured you were going to say, initially, Promare or Fire Force, which, like, obvious people combusting into flames. Are you going to say some Shinsuka Yori shit? <laughs> I am going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So I was interested to see if you were going to like it. So I was originally drawn to this show with the knowledge that Mamoru Oshii, who's worked on Ghost in the Shell and Pat Labor, was writing the script. And figured that, you know, I'm not watching that much other stuff this season. Why don't I just give this a shot? And honestly, it's hard to describe, but watching this show feels like being transported back in time to anime in the early 2000s or something like that. The show has a certain ominous feeling about its fantasy setting that does remind me of something like Shinsukai Yori. You can't see the full picture of what's going on in this society, but you know something feels off. The show definitely has its share of issues, which I'm going to get into in a second, and I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. But if you're searching for that specific feeling of this like niche, dystopian fantasy anime that honestly just doesn't really get made that often anymore, then this might be appealing. And just for that bit of nostalgia and that throwback novelty, it's refreshing to watch in a certain way, at least for me. I might also compare it to something like Mushishi in terms of its art style and kind of the vibe it gives off. So between Shinsakyori and Musishi, I think you get where I'm coming from, hopefully, with the feeling of anime that doesn't really get made that often anymore. It feels like Oshi just got his friends together and was like, let's make something from when we used to make anime. That's actually kind of what it feels like. Other than that, I don't think there's that much I can say about the show so far because each episode has given little bits of development to the world. That's been pretty interesting But it's kind of impossible to judge how a show like that is going to turn out because it all hinges on what the plot reveals are going to be. And because it's such a slow burn where we're finding out little bits of information at a time, I really can't say how that's going to happen, but I'm definitely going to stick around and see how that turns out. I will say it is a shame that there are very, very, very clear production issues, though, on top of... The already limited scope of the animation, I think that in and of itself is fine for a series like this. Shinsuka for example, was not blowing anybody's mind with its animation, and it's kind of similar here. But there are some other just egregious things. There's this one repeated CGI shot of a mansion in the capital that literally looks like it's PS2 graphics. The entire second episode was filled with these still frames that are like made to be artsy that we talked about, I think, with Kaguya, but way worse and like done all the time. The short action scenes are honestly rough and just look kind of weird. So production wise, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. But I am interested in the world that's being built. And hopefully something interesting and worthwhile will happen at the end. It's just kind of (laughs) impossible to say if that's going to be true or not right now.
0: I mean, if you're going to compare it to Shinsuka Yori, I'm going to have to watch this. <laughs> Why don't you wait until I get a little further, <laughs> then I can tell you if it's worth it. The premise actually sounds very interesting. The weird thing is, I have heard literally nothing about this show on That's Twitter, no cetera, one is watching elsewhere. It. <laughs> it's just complete radio silence.
1: Yeah. I follow a few people on Twitter who are either slightly older or who are specific fans of this type of niche stuff. And I've seen like those like two or three people talking about it. And then like literally nobody else. So it's definitely going under the radar. And I think you can kind of see why. All right. That's it for the shows that we're going to cover whoa, whoa, this whoa, whoa, season.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you have I something you else? told you I had a surprise for you.
1: You didn't tell me you had a surprise for me.
0: <laughs> so I am actually watching one more show this season. Oh, God. And I only became aware of this anime because some of the artists within the ecchi community were sending around clips of a girl bathing with a dog. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I'll watch an episode or three. Oh,
1: my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And after doing that, I have to tell you that this is truly a fucking heinous anime that deserves to be fired into the sun. As a fan of ecchi... My life as Inukai Science Dog is straight garbage. (laughs) So, the show follows an unnamed male protagonist who wakes up one day outside being rained on in the street. He quickly finds himself, though, in the hands of his high school classmate and crush, Karen Inukai. (laughs) Let me say that one more time. Karen Inukai who takes him back home and proceeds to immediately go in the bathroom and start getting naked. Let it be known that I also did not watch this on High Dive where it currently is. I chose to watch the uncensored version on the interwebs, which I will say, if you're going to watch this show, there's only one reason you're watching the show and you might as well go do that.
1: Or you could watch it on High Dive and support katrina's translation of it which actually turned into kind of a controversy and i want to say that if you're like anti-localization you can fuck off that's all continue please what's the controversy i actually missed this she did some localization work as she usually does you can go listen to our episode with her where she talks about translation theory and localization and she was translating it for a very specific demographic audience And people were very upset that she wasn't being faithful to the original Japanese and the typical stuff, that anti-localization. People typically come out of the gates just too much uses of slang and other things like that, making it feel dated. And I hate that shit. So anyways.
0: I agree with your point here. And so upon looking in the mirror, that's when the (laughs) OP makes the startling realization that he's been turned into a dog. And for the rest of the show... We basically follow him through various encounters as he sees Unikai and all of her friends somehow get naked. That is the entire show. Now, perfect. First things first. They could have made this cute. They could have made this normal <laughs> for a below-tier seasonal show. But instead, they went full, unadulterated, etchy, with extremely questionable, furry adjacent content. There's literally a 40-second scene where we see Unikai soaping herself up. Uncensored. Uncensored soaping herself up. A lot of boob physics going on. A lot of soap moving around. And then a scene, not two minutes later, where she begins to lick and nibble on her dog's nose. Now, what the fuck? I am not a pet owner. I do not know if this is a common thing. It is not. I am going to go out on a limb and say that this is probably not the relationship that most people have with their dogs. The one thing that you'll probably enjoy is that she names her dog Pochita. Nice. Oh, that's cute. That's nice. Now. I'm not watching this. (laughs) In terms of production quality, I feel like I'm having a literal stroke when I'm watching this because the way that they've animated it is the way that people actually observe the world. You know this because you've seen this in our like visual neuroscience classes, but the center of your gaze of vision is clear. And if you focus on something, like if you just look at the thing that's right in front of you, you'll notice that you see it clearly, but without moving your eyes, try and divert your attention to the things around you. And you notice that you can't make out a lot of detail of those things. They look fuzzy. For some fucking reason, that's how they animated the show. The center of gaze is fucking clear and the edges are fuzzy. And I'm like, am I actually POVing a fucking dog? Like, what am I doing here? What is happening here? Also, the only reason I'll tell you, you should probably check out an episode of this is because every episode's only 12 minutes long, including the intro and outro. And so it's like you're barely watching any content. (laughs) I'm not watching it. To all the people working on this, my sincerest apologies that you had to subject yourself to this visual violation of the Geneva Convention. <laughs> you know what? I didn't have to worry about where I would discuss this on the list. Because I knew that there is nothing on this list that could be worse than the fucking show My Life as Unu sans Dog. I can't believe you watched that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can believe it, but
1: I can't believe it.
0: I enjoy etchy. This is some heinous. I garbage, know you man. do, but you know, yeah, this is a different level. I can fuck with kiss sis, but like, this is <laughs> this is
1: this is out of left field. This is way out those, there. Those words should never be uttered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I think we're actually done. Do you have more surprises? No. Anything that's else it. you watched? We're, I don't good? think I okay. could surprise you more than that. <laughs> no, you really couldn't. So the other shows, just to quickly run down what we didn't get a chance to talk about. There's still the continuations of stuff from the fall that we're not watching. My Hero Academia, To Your Eternity, and Golden Kamui, those are still going on. And then a bunch of other shows this season. I'm surprised, actually, that you didn't watch Misfit of Demon King Academy Season 2. Actually, it's like the second highest watched show on Mal this season after
0: Vinland Saga. It seems like people like it. That's actually not true. The only reason I didn't watch it is because I haven't seen Season 1. And so I had this grand plan that I was going to watch season one before we got to this episode, and then I was like, should I watch the dog, Echi? or should I watch (laughs) the entire first season of Misfit of Demon King Academy? I think I'm going to like it. We'll see. It's pretty highly rated. Yeah, it seems decently rated, at least.
1: Otherwise, we're getting season two of Tokyo Revengers. I don't really care about that. And a few other things. Tomo-chan is a girl. Bungo Stray Dogs season four. You actually mentioned wanting to at some point watch Bungo Stray Dogs. So there's a lot of fucking content to do that.
0: Yeah, we said we were going to possibly do a Bones episode in the. The theory was it would be in the near future. I think after looking at their list of things, it's not going to be the near future. It will be at some point. I added Tomuch on here. For some reason, it's getting a lot of popularity within both the English VA community and also within the anime art community. There seems to be something nice about this gender ambiguity and i haven't really seen the show but maybe at some point i'll watch it yeah
1: for some reason you added the angel next door spoils me rotten here
0: yeah i added that one because that's also one of the (laughs) highest rated shows this season and i was really considering watching this it just seems to be a romance it has almost an eight on mal which is considering what's going on this season kind of surprising
1: yeah Spy Classroom, we already talked about earlier in the episode. And then the last thing is actually Season 2 of Tourney, which is being done by Kirani. This is the one that I have seen a lot of cuts from and looks really, really nice, as you'd expect from Kirani. I wanted to watch it, actually, for this season, but then realizing I had to watch all of Season 1, I was like, eh, I don't really have the bandwidth for this right now. It's about an archery club. It seems very, very nicely animated, and it seems like people are enjoying the storyline in Season 2 more than in Season 1, so... If you're a Kirani fan, that's something to potentially check out if you don't have anything else going on. I just didn't end
0: up getting around to it.
1: All right, anything else to talk about or are we wrapping this up?
0: Damn, why do you sound so tired now?
1: (laughs) Because you made me listen to you talking about both Onimai and Inukaisan at the same time, in the same episode.
0: I'm doing my job on this podcast, man. I'm I'm taking bullets out of here for you.
1: Yeah, the garbage man. All right, so that's been it from us this episode. I somehow convinced Robbie that our next episode is going to be a deep dive on Hunter x Hunter, so look forward to us disagreeing a lot about that and also trying to remember what the fuck happened in Hunter x Hunter. We'll see how that goes. Otherwise, check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could leave us a rating and a review. That would help a lot and check out our twitter at Baka Banter Pod. check out our website bakabanter.com and actually this episode is going to be releasing i think two days before our two-year anniversary and we're going to have a little announcement on the actual anniversary which is february 10th so stay tuned to our twitter page for that and then of course we will talk more about it on the next episode that comes out so look forward to that and that's actually been it from us we've been the bakbanter lads we'll catch you all in the next one Now I have the Sao soundtrack stuck in my head. The it's going at the end of the episode. I know that. <laughs>